Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief in being. This is episode 115. For some reason, we have just become so entangled in the dogma, the structures that hold up this holy text, instead of just, you know, reading it and letting it inform our personal experience. Crystal Cheatham is an LGBTQ rights activist and founder of Our Bible App, an app helping people ditch toxic theology and find their ways to the spiritual wellness they deserve. She received her MFA from Antioch University, and since 2011, Crystal has worked simultaneously as a ghostwriter and a queer rights activist with groups such as Soul Force and the Attic Youth Center. She's written for the Huffington Post on the intersections of faith and sexual identity, a faith and spirituality column for the Philadelphia Gay Newspaper. She sat on the steering committee of the HRC as the faith and spirituality chair, and partnered with Equality PA to influence clergy and support non discrimination legislation. That rhymes. That's cute. Discrimination legislation. (laughs) She's the host of Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. And her work has been featured in Teen Vogue, Autostraddle, and LGBTQ Nation, among others. I am excited to have Crystal back on the show today. (laughs) She was on several seasons ago. I I am like forgetting episodes at this point, but I know Crystal has been on the show before. So excited to have her back to talk about a lot of the work that she's doing with our Bible app and a new publishing house that she is founding. We're talking about faith deconstruction and reconstruction today alongside uh, some of Crystal's story and of, of course the work that she's doing in the world. So no announcements today. So let's just go ahead and dive in. Crystal, hi. Welcome back. Hello, Matthias. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, I am just thrilled to have you back on the show. Uh, Some really exciting things. So to start, I mean, I'll ask you the question. You've already answered this question once, but, you know, as I often say, these things tend to change. So how would you identify and how do you say your faith has helped form that identity? Right. Well, I am a very out and proud Black lesbian progressive Christian, cisgender for sure. And I think that my faith has led me to a place where I have been surrounded by a community that affirms every single piece of that. Like, no part of me feels unloved or unsupported. And that is all tied to my faith community, my amazing church here in Philadelphia, my friends on the interwebs, and through my work. And we're going to get into that a little bit more. I would love to hear, has that always been your journey? (laughs) You know it hasn't. (laughs) Like, you're, you're talking about this incredible community. How did you get there? You know what? I think it all happened by mistake. And I'm one of those people who I used to lead my life thinking that 
if I could apply enough pressure, then there would be a positive outcome, you know, just like you don't have to go around, you don't have to go over, you can just go straight through. That comes from just being a really fiery and passionate activist. And when I came out of uh, a really fundamentalist upbringing, Seventh-day Adventism, my goal was to just pummel through and figure out in what ways I could reconcile my faith with my religion. And a lot of that meant pushing back at traditional rhetoric and people who seemed to hold the keys to unlocking a safe place for LGBTQ people everywhere. And um, through that journey, I discovered a lot of people like me, and I think the the place that was mis- was a mistake was when one of the last events that I did, protests that I did, was with some people at Vanderbilt School of Divinity, and there I discovered that there were just amazing thought leaders. Like, this institution is just churning out some fantastic thought leaders, some fantastic theologians, ministers who are actually changing the world. And I discovered that, you know, I didn't have to push against the man anymore because we could just change the whole script. And, you know, that's where I really discovered my people, my people who didn't have to fight to be included in these really conservative spaces. Rather, we were just going to create our own spaces. And for me, that was home for sure. What you just said there feel, feels like such, um, I don't know if it's a subtle distinguishment, but it's an important distinguishment. Like that, that switch that you mentioned from fighting and from trying to like carve out this space in community versus I'm just going to do my own space. I'm just going to find my own people. I'm going to stop fighting. A lot of people I talk to are either on one end of that kind of divide or the other. Like they're the folks who are like still trying to, how do I talk to these people or or how do I find space versus the people who are in this, I don't even try anymore. (laughs) Like I just have, have my own side. It's so interesting the ways we can fall kind of back and forth in that space. I, I don't know if that's been your experience, but I feel like I switch between those spaces often. The parts of me that really want to be accepted versus the parts of me that are like, well, I already am. And I have these people. I, I'm curious, what has that been like for you? It takes a lot of time to of a lot of deep programming and decolonizing of your mind to reconcile that you don't have to be constantly in a fight. And it's really hard because um, I would say uh, mainline Christianity is everywhere. And it has seeped into our culture in a way that is hard to avoid. I would say that mainline Christianity is hand-in-hand with white supremacy, is hand-in-hand with patriarchy and um, purity culture or these traditional gender roles and all of the isms, you know, transphobia and uh, homophobia and all of it. And it takes so much work not to constantly be rubbing up into that space. I mean, on Twitter, we're con- we, all we do is call people out. It's <laughs> it's so fun <laughs> to the extent that that we forget that you know what we can just create our own spaces and not engage at all. But I have that fear that we'll just 
recreate our own spaces and become just as exclusionary as, you know, our our mainline counterparts. And I feel, I feel like that's where our community stumbles the most. I would love to talk about that a little bit. Maybe before we dive into that, though, I mean, so much of your work is around creating these new spaces, your app, our Bible app, and then, I mean, this new project that you're working on, the Deconstructionist Playbook. So much of this is, how do we create something new here? Could you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what what these new spaces that you have created? Yeah, I'm really glad you're using that word, too, because I see myself as a creator and an artist and not so much as a tech person, which I was labeled as when I created our Bible app, or a thought leader. I don't really feel like I'm not much of a verbal leader, but I do feel like what I can offer the world is being a visionary and helping to create some of these spaces. And our Bible app has been able to create a wonderful space for individuals seeking to plug into something that allows them to be their truest selves and understand faith and religion and spirituality in a way that's natural for them, you know, to do some of their own creating. And through the app, we have created this, uh, well, I think mostly our publishing policy allows us to do this, which is publish things that are not offensive and that lift up the individual more than the... uh, What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that we've worked really hard to get rid of problematic language and make sure that we are allowing people to be their truest selves as writers and as readers in the app. And that has branched into what we're calling the Deconstructionist Playbook, an anthology that we have, you know, pieced together. And I would love to tell you more about it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I've been seeing this float around. I imagine many of the people who listen to this show have been seeing it float around or have heard you, you know, talking about it on, on other podcasts because you're in the middle of this big push. Like you're campaigning for this actual physical book with over 60 people who are contributing to it all about this process of deconstructing, reconstructing, finding liberation. It, I mean, it's, it's so cool and so needed. Uh, it is so needed. And fortunately enough, when I reached out to these people, they all said, yes, we would love to be part of an anthology. And what I'm ultimately trying to do is I realize that there's a huge audience of people who love our Bible app and consume it and can't wait for the new for the next devotional to come out. You know, they're subscribers and they read the newsletter. But then there's this like the whole other community who cannot seem to tap into faith resources on a phone. You know, if if they have to read it on their iPad or on their phone, it's just not going to be, it's not palatable to them. And so I had this crazy idea that we would bridge the gap between these communities and actually publish a book. And I, I had this crazy idea in early 20 or late 2019 and um, reached out to a couple publishers and we got really far into the, the contract phase. And ultimately for, for each of those publishers, it was a no because there were too many authors 
And I said, no, there's not. Because <laughs> I'm crazy like that, Matthias. I'm so crazy. And um, they said no. And that hurt my feelings. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe there aren't enough places for us to have this conversation. Maybe there aren't enough publishing houses. And so I decided to create a publishing house called Bemba Press. And I can tell you all about that. Um, And the Deconstructionist (laughs) Playbook is our inaugural title so that we can bridge that gap that I was talking about, that place that folks aren't going to pick up a phone, but yes, they're going to pick up a book. And we can showcase the very many voices that we have who are already doing deconstruction, which is really isolating. Like when you decide to to deconstruct your faith, you feel like you're going to lose your community. You feel like, you know, how am I going to tell my mom that I, I don't believe this anymore or I'm questioning this when I show up at church and, you know, we have Bible discussions and I open up about this thing that doesn't make sense. Am I going to get fed a platitude? <laughs> am I going to be told to be quiet and not ask those heretical questions. It's a very scary place. And so, this book is supposed to be a a side along to your journey. And obviously, you know, these authors don't have all of the answers, but we are allowing folks the space to kind of have doubts and ask hard questions and feel like they are not doing all of that heavy lifting alone. That's huge. Because I think, you know, for so many of us who are in this space of of trying to figure out our faith, you know, realizing like what we were given doesn't work for us. <laughs> and in fact is wrong. It is not even good. <laughs> and, you know, I think for so many of us, we feel then just utterly lost. And and then we've been told if you leave this behind, then you will be lost. And I was watching the the Kickstarter video for your campaign on this, and and I, I can't remember who it was who who said something like, "We use all this wilderness language to talk about the deconstruction world, but once you've been in this kind of place for long enough, you start realizing that." There's actually a lot here. <laughs> and I loved that because it's like, it's so true. There's so many of us who are in this space. And I think this book highlights that with, you know, having over 60 authors. I mean, the resources are out there. It's just a matter of finding them. And I think you're doing such an amazing job at, at that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, like you said, it is about bridging the gap. And you know, the author who said that is Lindsay Medford. And I would liken it to, you know, your eyes adjusting to the dark. Once you step out of a place that's that's fully lit, you know, you can even talk about being inside of a church that's fully lit and you see everything that's going on, like everything there is predictable. And then you step onto the porch and then you step away from the out, outdoor lights and then you're just in the pitch black and that is the scariest thing. And if you're committed to down this metaphor <laughs> and committed to <laughs> moving forward, hopefully your eyes your eyes will adjust and you'll see that you're not the only one who wasn't satisfied with God in a box. 
kind of mentality or, you know, I honestly believe that right now in our nation's history, there is an epic churning of faith. There are a lot of people who were fooled by the last presidential administration and have had a bit of a reckoning with what it was that they were believing, that Black lives don't matter, that that a president can somehow be a king and a prophet all at the same time, and the richest man, and, and, and. And there are those of us who have been in, in a space of, well, I'm just going to do the status quo, well, I'm just going to move forward and not worry about what's to my right or to my left, who are waking up and realizing that it's not enough, you know, and we have to take charge of our faith. And what are we reckoning with? We're reckoning with allowing ourselves to be lied to. We're reckoning with, you know, realizing that there is a real push for rhetoric that will dissuade us from discovering our true selves. That I mean, there's real covertly Christian rhetoric out there that will encourage you to be ashamed and even disparage the stranger, that, you know, to not fight for for the rights of the person to our left and to our right, to not even care about the rights of your of your children. And I get the sense that we are in a struggle to wake up from that. And those of us who are, are looking for resources that are different than what we see on traditional shelves. Yeah, I know that. I mean, that feels so true. I mean, just even in my like Instagram messages, right? <laughs> the number of people who reach out who are like, how do I do this? And, and where are the resources? And are these things that people are saying about me true? So, I mean, it's one thing to be able to point people to an app, which is so cool and so important, but to actually start being able to publish. I mean, you're, you're mentioning like this, this isn't just a book, but it's a whole publishing house that you're starting. Tell me more about that. Okay, so 85% of the people deciding which books will be published in the United States are white. And 70%, 76% are heterosexual, and 88% of those are non-disabled. And this is all according to a 2019 diversity baseline survey. And just think about how much control this predominantly cisgender, white, and I would even say and you know, I don't have the, the numbers to back this up, but I would even say male people, how these, these people get to decide who, is, who gets to be in the main line, whose voices get to be heard over the others. We need more publishing houses that are by black and brown people that are created by women so that they can be the ones to choose which stories are told. I think about the Deconstructionist Playbook and how powerful it is. Like right now on Kickstarter, we have over 800 backers, which is amazing, you know? And that's in eight days we've done that. And <laughs> I think about the Black Trans Prayer Book by Jay Mason the third and um, his counterpart, I can't remember her name, and how it just shot up when they put it out there, they raised money for it, and then they got a grant for it on top of that. And just it just got snatched off the shelves. I even think about 
Kevin Garcia's book, Bad Theology, Bad Theology Kills, which, I mean, we had all been talking about for so long. It just made sense to put out a book with this title. None of them were picked up by traditional publishers, and that's because I believe those publishing the books only could see through their narrow perspectives. You know, they didn't see it from the perspective of a Black trans person or from a struggling queer uh, theologian who was tapped into this amazing community on online, all cheering him on. And so I believe that we do have a lot of progressive Christian publishers, but they are not quite focused on the things still that matter to us. They're still tapped into that cishet norm. And, you know, I think that our Bible app has the chance to shake it up by applying some of our publishing policies that we have in the app to, you know, what we can do with 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 print. And so we came up with this, we, we decided to, con- our inaugural title is The Deconstructionist Playbook. And I believe that it's doing really well and can continue to do well with the help of, you know, your listeners and people like them. But the idea is to further voices and continue to connect this fragmented community. You know, we shouldn't have to wait till the lights are off (laughs) and for our eyes to adjust to see that there's little fires everywhere. That is just so much time in between for you to get freaked out, for you to turn back around, or for you to just quit altogether and say, you know what, faith and religion is not for me. And I feel like that is that is incurring more self-harm than one actually realizes because we are all spiritual beings. We're all spiritual beings. If if you have legs, you walk. And if you have a life, then you are spiritual. And we all need to be paying attention to how we are evolving and what we believe in and what we contribute to with our mind, with our with our thoughts and with physically and with our money. All of that hinges on what you believe in. And you know, something I said a, a while ago was that each of us needs to do our civic duty and deconstruct our faith. You know, like I really believe that this book is, go- is going to help create a heaven on earth. Each of us needs to do this work to divest from that, that space of, you know, white supremacy, of patriarchy, of homophobia and transphobia and all the isms. Um, we need to do this work so that, so that we can be better humans to each other and ourselves. I'm sorry, that was my tangent. You're calling it a tangent. It, it feels very pertinent. Like, mm, <laughs> good. Uh, it, it's so important. I mean, you, you're highlighting something that feels central and key because, I mean, I'm just thinking on my own experience of, of like the publishing world. I mean, I sit in this place of relative privilege, <laughs> the, the white gay male. So, so I hold all these places and, and how hard it is even like I'm working on selling a new book right now, how hard it is for even for me to tap into those doors. And it's, I mean, it's relatively easy for me is that both and right. I'm just saying that it's not just, you know, demographic. It's also what's in your book. So I know I'm thinking of two authors right now, and I won't embarrass them by saying their names, who wrote amazing proposals. And I know they wrote amazing proposals because when they wrote for our Bible app, their stuff exploded into the ether, right? And both of them were turned down from the publishers, these progressive Christian publishers, because they, they they told them these chapters don't fit in. And I'm like, if we're supposed to be pushing against the status quo, why aren't you letting us? And so I can totally see that happening to you. 
Right. And and I think about this, like if if even those of us who have in some ways like the most privilege in this world are having a hard time getting onto these platforms, <laughs> I feel like that just blows up even more important, like how important this project is because you're actually focusing in on content instead of necess- like platform. Does that make sense? Instead of sellability, <laughs> you're focusing in on what are these ideas and what are these things that we actually, these conversations that we actually need to be having that are happening over in places of where massive platforms aren't necessarily a thing. You can't actually s- sell. And you're saying, well, we can, though, <laughs> because we we need these things. I feel like I just blabbered a whole lot, but <laughs> no, you're 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 absolutely right. That's not blabbering. You're speaking truth because ultimately, what we're saying is that there is a market for this. People actually want it, and it may not be the audience that has already been built by these traditional, more traditional publishing houses, and that is fine. Like if if another if Bemba Press pops up. It's not going to hurt them at all, you know. I'm actually one of those who believes that we do need we do need more competition in in this progressive Christian space. We need more entrepreneurs, more business, more small businesses with the idea that I mean for our Bible app if if we if we publish, if we sell, you know, 5,000 copies of a book, if we sell 3,000 copies of a book, that is huge. And that's also very huge to the author. If you are willing to pay them more than a buck 50 per book, you know? And that's also something that, that we could, that we can do and we will do is treat our authors more equitably so that the, the profit off of these books doesn't go to the 15 shareholders who all want to make their their money back and some, but to the two parties who are actually involved in in the publishing in the first place, the writer and the publisher. You know, that's it. (laughs) And I think our Bible app has a wonderful, wonderful uh, platform to be able to do that. And I am charged with the duty of, of moving forward for sure. I love it. I just like can't wait to see what comes out of this. Me too. Me too. But first we need to, if we, if we don't meet the Kickstarter, if we don't get to, you know, 2000 pre-ordered books, then Bemba Press is going to have to wait for a while, you know? So we have until, um, I think March 5th is the cutoff point of of this campaign. And I, I don't, right now we have just over 800 backers and we're really, really hoping we can get to 2,000. We really are. So for people listening. <laughs> yes, hi. Just with the listenership of this podcast, we could do that, y'all. So let's do it. <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this. So yeah. the Deconstructionist Playbook is amazing because it takes you from deconstruction to reconstruction to liberation theology, Right. And deconstruction is all about those hard conversations that you're having in your head, those big questions like, is God real? (laughs) Is God actually talking to me? Do I believe that the Bible is a holy book? Do I believe that it is infallible? Do I believe in my church's dogma in interpreting the Bible? And what are my belief systems? You know, what do I stack all of my beliefs on? And if I shake it, 
will my life fall apart? And then we move on to reconstruction, which includes, you know, building on that foundation that that God loves all of God's people. And if God loves everybody, how do we show that with the way that we treat LGBTQ people? How do we show that with the way we understand purity culture and its impact on gender roles? And uh, what's that word? Uh, rape culture. <laughs> <laughs> not laughing oh, yeah, at just, rape culture just that like <laughs> laughing at my inability to remember the term if only we could all like just get rid of it so we don't have to remember it oh gosh <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's so many things that we need to reconcile within ourselves and that's what the reconstruction is for building it back on a better foundation and then finally, you know, that we wrap up the anthology with liberation theology because, uh, you know, liberation theology started out in uh, Latin America, in South America, and was a way to engage civic, your civic duty through faith principles. And this, these were a band of women who decided to rebel against their very fundamentalist church and push back. And what it did was highlight the ways in which the church was promoting unjust, you know, racial inequity and uh, economic divide through capitalism. And the list goes on and on. And so in North America, we've adopted, you know, liberation theology, especially because, you know, over the summer, there was an explosion of conversation and unrest around race in America and um, the inequity of capitalism in America. And so the last part of this anthology is about how you reach out to your neighbor, how you show up for the underprivileged, how you show up as a black or brown person in Christianity, which is which has just been so consumed by white supremacy. It really is a magical book. <laughs> and I use the word <laughs> magical <laughs> because putting it together has just been like me and Teresa, the edit like the other editor, we just we are just constantly in awe of what people have written and what seems to be hidden inside of our Bible app. And we get this chance to kind of show the world what has been going on in this app for the past three years. And it is just phenomenal. And I think that's why all 60 authors were like, yes, I want to be a part of that. Yes, this is inspiring and beautiful and has, you know, and will make such an impact. Let's put this into the world. I will say this one last thing before, <laughs> while I while I have the stage. Um, you can have the stage <laughs> as long as you want, Crystal. <laughs> Thank you, Matthias. You're so good to me. In the pitch video, Reverend Lenny Duncan says, the deconstructionist theology is not for everyone, but for some people, it will be everything. And I feel like that is like the nugget of the truth inside, like the seed of the apple, uh, the root of the earth, which is that if it goes over your head, it goes over your head, you know? But for those who see it for its worth, it's going to be everything to them. And that's why we need your help to put it out there. That feels, I mean, you just said it's really big, but that feels really big. <laughs> this idea of what you're doing, what we're doing, isn't going to work for everyone. <laughs> and to like let that be okay and, and to still do it. Right. I think that faith and religion are far more personal than we allow them to be right now. 
and we don't give folks the chance to evolve organically. The Bible was meant to be, you know, read by one person, you know. You read it, you decide, you know, how you treat the person next to you. You decide who loves you and who you can love. And for some reason, we have just become so entangled in the dogma, the structures that hold up this holy text, instead of just, you know, reading it and letting it inform our personal experience. And Crystal, I mean, not to like go against that, but I also think I'm hearing you say the importance of community. So I'm hearing you say this one person, like we ourselves are people who are reading scripture and kind of determining where we're going with it. I also feel like I'm hearing you say that gets done within a community and a very particular kind of community. Am I mishearing that? I think the way that I want that I would put it is... This is a quote from Teresa, who's the editor of the Deconstructionist Playbook. She says, This book is a collection of voices adding to a theology built from the experiences of a marginalized many instead of the philosophizing of a privileged few. And what I mean by dogma and whatever is that we have been reading the Bible through the lens of a few people who have had the divine pleasure of seeing it a certain way, you know, not realizing that we too have been granted that gift of of taking it apart and putting it back together and seeing between its pages because every new generation understands this holy text in a new way. And we have to give way to that, you know, like what we read and how it informs our lives today is going to be very different from our children and our children's children. And that's because their world is going to be completely different. Their struggles are going to be far different from ours. And we have to allow that to happen organically. And so that's, I think, what I mean by personally, Matthias, you and I have to be able to read this text differently than our parents read it and their parents. We have to be given the permission to do that, or we have to take that permission, which I'm also down for. (laughs) In some ways, it feels like that. I mean, you're doing both of those things, but taking of permission. And and it, it doesn't feel like you're just taking it. It also feels like you're then giving it to others. I mean, the word that's coming to mind right now is just empowerment. You're not just taking it and saying like, I, Crystal, can do this. You're saying, like, I, Crystal, can do this, and every single one of you can do it, too. Yeah, every single one of us needs to do it. And I'm sorry if you're listening to this and you're like, that sounds like heresy, you know? If this doesn't sound realistic to you, if it sounds like anarchy, I would suggest going and downloading our Bible app. There is a whole shelf of free devotionals on there with no commitment. You don't even have to create a username or anything and start to read what people have written. And you'll see that it is a a message of love, which comes from a place of strength and belonging. This understanding that There is no place that you can go that God won't also be there to love you through it. Um, This theology, um, this anthology is built on the idea that love and truth are the same and they always win. They always win. They always come to the surface. And so, you reader, trust your intuition. Trust your intuition as, as you read these pages and believe that 
that you are a good person, that you want good things to happen, and that you don't want to twist the text, you know, as people say, and that your hope is that everybody can can find God and find rest, and that together, if we work together, we can find heaven on earth. That is the backbone of, of this theology, not this idea that it'll be really easy for you to slip your toe into the water and next thing you know, your whole body's emerged and you're drowning. Um, that kind of backslider terminology I don't think works anymore in the world that we live in. And we have to be brave enough to do away with it. Right. Because, I mean, I feel like so many of us are realizing, those of us who have been called backsliders and heretics and all of these things, I'm writing about this right now. We all have had the experience, though, of we have backslid, at least away from what they told us we needed to be, where we needed to be, and discovered, like, but but God is also here. <laughs> we slid down that hill into that pond, that lake, that ocean, and realized, well, God is here. And not just God is here, but God is the ocean. And <laughs> that messes with everything. <laughs> it really does. You know, when so I told you I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. And when I was a kid, we used to beg for our parents to take us to the movies. or But we always had to wait for it to show up on VHS. And for those of you who don't know what VHS is... <laughs> Stop. No. <laughs> um, so we had to wait for it to come out on tape. And after a while, I mean, eventually my parents did allow us to go to theaters, but we were told that if you go into a theater, your angels, your guardian angel won't go in there with you. God will not go in, go with you into this den of iniquity, basically. Regard Right? And... Just imagine being a kid and being told that God loves you unconditionally, but won't go into a theater with you, you know? And I just want to dispel of that language that, like, there are places that you can go that that God won't be there with you. When when I came out as a lesbian and I moved to Philadelphia, and I was I was coming, I was coming out of a highly indoctrinated fundamentalist space to just buck wild gay philadelphia you know and in my timid exploration of city life you know meeting strangers sticking my toe in and realizing that these people these secular people were not evil you know they they weren't eating babies <laughs> and they they you know and not all of them drank alcohol and were drunks you know and and not all of them you know you know hated the cursed and and used it to to damn you to damnation and all of these fairy tales about the other started to melt away and i realized that god was in these people some of these people were better at being neighbors than those in my Seventh-day Adventist past. And I realized that the world isn't black and white. It's not black and white. And you can't tunnel vision your way forward and pretend like it's black and white. Like, we live in a, in a gray world, variants of gray. Or, you know, I'm gay. I should just say a rainbow world, right? We yes. live in a rainbow <laughs> world. Um, and it takes a lot more discernment, a lot more personal insight and intuition to figure out what is true and what is false. But no, there is no place you can go that God is not already there. It's so important, I mean, to even speak to like how we then start to categorize people 
these categories, I mean, you, you listed some of them of, of drunk or, or swearing or like all these people that we were supposed to like stay away from. Right. And demonize. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not just stay away from, like demonize. Yeah. Premarital sexing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and just see like these people, <laughs> us, we, <laughs> there's so much beauty here and so much goodness. And just to engage that complexity and and the rainbow, as you put it. Like, I love that. Much better than the gray. <laughs> so dismal. So dismal. Before we wrap up, you mentioned kind of way back at the beginning of this conversation, some of that fear, some of it, that critique, I think, that we get of how do we just not recreate <laughs> these categories of fundamentalism in a progressive way, which is such an interesting conversation to me. I mean, I know we could probably do a whole episode, multiple episodes, you know, full year series on that. But like in five minutes, <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? I think that I, this has been really tough for me and something I thought about a lot because our Bible app is a publishing, is a digital magazine, and we wanted everybody to submit. And we didn't want to get something from somebody who was on Twitter who was obviously conservative and say, no, you can't publish with us. You know, we felt like that would just be right back into the circle. And so we came up with, with, rules that allowed for us to see the community for who they are. And we just decided that we would not, we we just had some standards of language that that we would stick by, which meant like no hate speech and no conspiracy theories. And you can't yuck somebody else's yum, which is like standard if you're teaching any kind of workshop, right? It's like you don't put other people down and you expect best best intentions. And it all came down to realizing that we weren't going to argue about someone else's worth someone else's worth anymore. We weren't going to argue about whether LGBTQ people were valued in God's eyes. You know, we weren't going to argue about whether or not uh, somebody's somebody being of of an inter of a different faith was somehow wrong or not. And by those rules, if folks could write something from their conservative values and perspectives, then we would accept it. And it's gone so well to the point where if we get a submission and we see that it's good, but that it uses some of these tropes, then we'll send it back and say, hey, could you could you get rid of this? Because our publishing policy says this. And we've had a handful of people correct their work and send it back in, you know? And it's this idea that we actually can live in a world together, the conservative, the progressive, and those of us who identify as agnostic and even atheist, if we just take the time to respect each other. And that's what I hope that our community can can learn to achieve and find a way. I mean, I'm one of those people who is, I know that it's supposed to be like a right-wing thing, but I, I want to figure out a way around cancel culture. I don't think it's okay to just write people off and throw them away. That is not how we deal with with problems. That is prison culture all over again. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, there are two th 
two things kind of coming to mind in what you just said. The first one is is like this concept. Well, it's Mickey Scott Bay Jones concept. This idea of of rave space. And I know I know Mickey is a contributor to this book. So, <laughs> but but this idea, like she has this idea of brave space of of, of not safe space, but brave space. So that's coming to mind. But but the other thing you're mentioning is the set of guidelines, the set of kind of rules that you're setting up of, of this idea of these spaces still have to have boundaries. I'm going to put that in my own language. It still has to have boundaries. But if we all agree on what the boundaries are, then we can do really incredible work. We can stay in community with each other. Yeah. And I want to believe, I mean, I need to go back and really soak up all that Jesus did, but I don't think there was a point in Jesus's story where he was like, not you, but you, (laughs) you know, it was always, okay, how do I love the centurion? You know, how do I love the tax collector who just stole all these people's money? (laughs) How do I love, you know, the the woman who doesn't have enough, uh, but wants to give and shouldn't give because it's not her place, you know, like always looking at, uh, Jesus was all constantly looking inward for the answer and not, it's your fault, you need to do something. And I think our community could definitely use more of that. I just, I pray to God that we don't, we don't turn into the very thing that we've been running from, but I know anything about human history, evolution, we're pretty much, pretty much damned to do it. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, there's... (laughs) There's always the risk there, right? And I mean, I, I'm also thinking about like, I mean, you you mentioned it as as cancel culture. The way I think about it as a therapist is so often we split or cut off the people who manifest the parts of ourselves that we don't want to work with. And so what does it actually look like to work with those parts of ourselves? <laughs> That we're saying, you don't belong here, I don't want you. Whether that's the white supremacist parts of ourselves, or, I mean, anything that that could be. To actually work with those inside of us and not split it. Because that's where integration happens and and healing can happen. I, I, I don't know what you think about that, but that is where my mind is going. So that's not to say, like we become white supremacists then? No. (laughs) But then how do we actually work with those parts of ourselves instead of cutting them and saying, you go over there? Because that's where those things kind of will then flourish in in this silence. I agree. We need to be willing to engage with ourselves. This is my last story. When I was working with with Soul Force, we practiced an ethic of nonviolence, and that meant nonviolence in in our actions, but also in the way that we spoke to the people who we were trying to convince of our truths, of our personal truths. So when we were telling them our personal stories of actually being gay Christians, and they were saying, it's impossible. We had to speak to them without raising our voices or cursing at them. But I think more importantly, this ethic of nonviolence meant that we had to go into the conversation knowing that we weren't 100% right, that we, if we expected them to change during this conversation, we knew that we also needed to change during the conversation, which is really hard when you're looking at somebody who despises you 
because of who you love or despises you because of your color, the color of your skin. It's not for everyone to do this, but it does require you to do a lot of introspection to think, what on earth could I possibly learn from this human standing in front of me? What do they have to offer during this conversation that they could offer me, that I could carry with me? And it forces both parties, it forces you to listen, to not speak fact or data, not to spit data in their face. Like when I was talking about Bemba Press, I felt weird just giving you all of that percentage stuff because not many people listen to percentages. What we do listen to are this, we listen to each other's stories. We love story because that engages our hearts, right? And that's what it, that's what is required of us. Just like you're saying, it is required of us to engage with our hearts and not shut down and move away. Crystal, I just feel like I could just keep keep talking and talking and talking to you. <laughs> I know. We have so much fun. <laughs> I love it. You're so soothing, I, and, honestly. Oh, thank you. Um, to wrap up, because we do need to wrap up, but there, there was something you said there <laughs> that feels, again, feels so important. That, that idea of, like, this isn't everyone's work, or, or we can opt out, or, or something like that. And and I, and I feel like that's important to highlight here, too. We don't have to do this work, and it can also be really healthy to opt out at times, to step away from this kind of work and integrate into other communities, and then we can come back and do this work, or not. Right. I mean, it's not this kind of, again, all or nothing kind of thing of like the right posture is one of having to educate and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you can opt out. That's what I'm doing with our Bible app. I'm like, okay, I'm done with y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. We're going to create our own space over here. I just can't. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's that both and there. And both of those things are so important. Crystal, uh, so how can people find your work? How can people find this Deconstructionist playbook? Yes. So if you are in love with our Bible app and want to download it, you can go to ourbibleapp.com or in your app store, just look look for the purple one, our Bible app. But if you would like to learn more about the Kickstarter, and I strongly suggest you do, you can go to you can go to the kicks you can go to Kickstarter.com and look for the Deconstructionist Playbook. Or again, our Bible app right there on the homepage has uh, a picture and a link right to the Kickstarter. You can't miss it. It's also in the app too. Like I found a way to put it in there so you can see it. And all of those links will all, you know, of course, be in the show notes too. So I'll be there. Thank you so much, Crystal. This has been lovely as always. As always. It's a pleasure. You can find Crystal across social media at Crystal Cheatham. And don't forget about her podcast, Lord Have Mercy. It's amazing. If you like queerology, you'll like her podcast. Go check out that Kickstarter, support it, and download our Bible app on your phone. It is, uh, in my opinion, the, the best app, especially for those of us who are queer, to get faith resources. So it's amazing. Queerology is on Twitter and Instagram at Queerology Pod, or you can tweet me directly at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is made possible because of you. To find out how you can help support Queerology by becoming an active listener, head over to patreon.com slash Matthias Roberts. A really easy way to support the show is by leaving a rating and a review. You can do that right in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review and it'll take you right there. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of what you want to hear on the show or just want to say hi, reach out. I'll get back to you. 
And until next time, y'all, bye. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.